Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. The Radical Up podcast is produced in partnership with AmericanFirearms.org. American Firearms' mission is to recommend what works. We believe everyone deserves access to unbiased, helpful information about firearms. And our buying guides, product reviews, and learning resources are designed to help real people find the stuff that will work best for them. Check us out at www.americanfirearms.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Red Club Podcast. I'm here with my buddy, John McLean. Yes, we're going to talk about this epic name that he has. Uh, John's a three-gun shooter, uh, all-around competitive shooter, really, really good um, at hurting himself, falling as well, so not just me. But he also is a national training manager at Arms Corps, and for 37 years, he's got the best pants in the game. So, John, thanks for coming on the podcast. You look thrilled. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> like so thrilled. Um, so I actually don't know your your background as far as like did working at Arms Corps comes first or did you start shooting first or how did you end up in this industry? Uh, so it started a long time ago when my parents were anti-gun and that naturally transitioned to me uh, as soon as I turned 18 going and buying a rifle and hiding it under my bed for two years. Um, <laughs> After that point, I, I went out, got a handgun. Uh, it was a Glock 22. And that was because I was kind of thinking about getting into law enforcement. And then um, my buddy's dad was a USPSA shooter. And he kind of offered to take us out to watch him shoot a match. We watched him shoot a match. I thought it looked fun as hell. So, like, I think a couple weeks later, I went out there with mine. Um, I shot the match and then, like, I think I shot two matches with that gun and then immediately put it up online to sell and then bought a Glock 34 Smart. and started paying for upgrades. And I mean, I, it, I've been broke ever since. Um, so that was kind of how I got into the USPSA shooting. And then from there, it just became like an obsession. Mm-hmm. Like it was all I wanted to do. All I kept talking about and thinking about and all kind of stuff. And then after, well, I don't know, maybe five or six years of doing it as like a you know weekend warrior my cousin um who worked for a company called rifle dynamics out of las vegas nevada uh they build aks and he brought me on board as like a contractual hire uh to test fire AKs. so like once a week i'd drive out there i'd pick up like anywhere from 20 to 30 ak's throw them in my car go out and test fire them and give them results you know let them know if if the um, barrels had to be bent because they were the front sight had to be pushed so far one way or the other. Um, whether or not there was key holding issues or crown issues, or if it didn't failure to fed, failure to extract, all that kind of fun stuff. So I did that. Um, that was where they kind of started my first, I guess, sponsorship you can call it, because we bought a we bought an AK, and at this time, you know, you could buy them overseas, uh, have them shipped in, and it was like. God, I think the base model that I got was like maybe $180 <laughs> for a, a, an AK and 223 because uh, I couldn't find 545 or 762 that wasn't steel case, so I couldn't shoot it for three gun. 
Right. And that was actually the first rifle that I shot for three gun was the Rifle Dynamics AK that uh, Jim Fuller helped me build along with Billy Cho, who's my cousin. And then they let me help build it as well. But we had to, we had to convert it over because it had like a sporting stock and all that kind of stuff. So we had to do some work to it. Um, from there, I met uh, I met Bill's Jonason and uh, just kind of forced him to be my friend. <laughs> In a way, is he was he was a very awkward guy to 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 have a com- conversation with because he was homeschooled his whole life. Yep. So like the social side of him was a little underdeveloped, and uh, I, I like refused to to not let him talk to me. Um, <laughs> is that still the case yeah. today as well? <laughs> no, no, Nils is great now. He's 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 much more better on the social side. Uh, He'll still have moments where he says things and you're like, oof, that was a little rough, dude. But uh, I, I love being there. And even when he says it to me, I, you know, it's I still find it comical. But um, so from there, so at that point, I'd just been a USPSA shooter. After I'd known Nils for a couple of years, he was here for SHOT Show and uh, he was going to shoot the SHOT Show three gun match that they hold at, after the show. And he asked me if I wanted to shoot it. And I didn't have a rifle. I didn't have a shotgun, uh, nothing. And he was just like, no, I brought I brought extra ammo and all kind of stuff. So just come shoot my gear and I'll show you how to use it. Uh, and from there, three gun was kind of like, okay, that, that was fun as hell. So that got me into three gun a little bit more serious. Uh, then I picked up uh, Sun Devil Manufacturing was the AR sponsor that I got picked up by. And they helped me out a lot because they... They actually got me an AR built after Sandy Hook. So like wow. when when AR prices were skyrocketing, I was able to get one without having to uh, take a loan out or sell a kidney. <laughs> and then around that time, um, I'd been working as EMS in Las Vegas for uh, maybe four or five years at that point uh, as an EMT advanced. And while running a call one night, I ran into uh, Lisa Twanson and their father, Bolo, who was the uh, one of the, not the founders, but he was the second uh, generation of family that took over Arms Corps and Rock Island Armory. So uh, that was kind of how I met them. They found out that I was a shooter and they liked the fact that I was an EMT. They liked my name. They liked that I was half Asian. Um, I kind of checked a lot of marketing. Yeah, I checked a lot of boxes on the marketing side for them. So we kind of just kind of set up a meeting. I, I went out there and, and sold myself to them as far as telling them, like, look, I'm, I'm only a C-class shooter, but it's not that I don't think I can become a grandmaster. I just can't train the way I want to. Right. And they kind of put me on like a a development program. Like they gave me a, they gave me an opportunity to prove that, you know, I could put my money, money, my money where my mouth was. And after about six months of me showing them like all the training I was doing, all the match results at the local level, um, the videos I would send and all that kind of stuff. Um, they decided to go ahead and pick me up and sponsor me for everything. Um, that was also around the time that Martin noticed. Uh, at the time, I was only picked up for three gun. Okay. So uh, 223, 9 millimeter ammunition and stuff was all I was getting. And then after about six months or so is when Martin said, like, I, well, this guy looks like he actually knows how to shoot a pistol fairly well, too. So let's just let's sponsor him all around and let's see if he'd be willing to shoot Rock Islands exclusively. Yeah. Which... I've been doing ever since. So um, then after about. Yeah, yeah. So I pretty much shoot Rock Island exclusive. Um, the only time I won't shoot a Rock Island is because they didn't make one. So like, for example, there was a time where 
production nationals, I would shoot a TTI Glock 34 because we didn't have a production legal gun. Right. Um, you know, stuff like that. So, and then after eight years of EMS, uh, I was offered a position at Arms Corps, which is the position I'm in now, which is the national training manager. And been doing that ever since. That's great. And as far as trade shows and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, shot shows. Uh, God, I came no, I, How many maybe nine or gone? ten years of that. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's. I'm over it. I'm over oh. it. Uh, I I'm not gonna lie. I kind of missed the pandemic. <laughs> You're uh, a no people person. <laughs> no, no, I'm 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 okay with it. It's just yeah, the trade show life just is is rough, especially shot show where you're there for like a whole you know six seven days straight. Can, can you imagine though going to the Great American Outdoor Show, which is like freaking fourteen days is what it feels like. It's like eleven. Hard pass. No, we we've never done the Great Outdoor Show. Thank God. Um, you know, I, I pretty much stick to SHOT Show, NRA, and then any of the trade shows that like uh, distributors, box stores and stuff like that would put on or training events. So, uh, there's a particular event up in Bozeman, Montana that I actually love going to every year that, uh, Murdoch's puts on and they do like a, like a two day training session for their sales team that they fly in. And then there's a one day of like public shoot. So it's almost like media day, but for the public, they can come and shoot whatever guns and products you brought out and stuff. And that's just a fun event. I love Bozeman, Montana too. Like it's just a cool place to fly into and hang out and um, small town vibe, but it's getting bigger. So yeah, but yeah, so that's, that's uh, what I get to do. That's awesome. Now going back uh, way back to the AK life that you started with, were you shooting three gun with iron sights, with a scope, with a red dot? What were you doing? So the AK that we built, um, I had an ultimate gas tube rail system installed on it. So it's got a, a, a Picatinny rail on the top of the gas tube, um, just because that was the most consistent way of of putting something there. Uh, prior to that, I did also I do still have on my old on my old AK, my first one that we built, um, a dog leg rail top cover, and that has a rail system on the top cover. Um, it's got a way of kind of locking it down to make it as stable as possible. Uh, but obviously, it's a it's a top cover that could move. So even when you have your uh, scope zeroed. You, there's still a little bit of variation that can that can find its way in. So I, I started with Tac Ops um, shooting with a scope on it, and then recently with the uh, with the insurgence of uh, AK matches and stuff, and and matches that are more specifically designed for the AK platform, I've swapped over to a, a red dot. So now I run a Vortex uh, Vortex razors yep. on on my AKs now. So when did, okay, yeah, for, I mean, obviously kind of work with Arms Corps, you said you've been with them forever. When did the other sponsorships with like Voodoo Tactical and Vortex and even Hunters, HD Gold, like when did all of that come into play? Well, so Hunters HD Gold didn't come until um, maybe four years ago, something like that, when it was basically when uh, I was selected for the World Shoot Team for Classic mm -hmm. um, prior to the pandemic. Right. And Brian offered to to give everyone that classified for the teams um, a free set of lenses. So he came up to me after towards the end of a match and asked me if I was going to give him my frames to make lenses for, which at that time I didn't even realize he could do, which is why I held off on ever getting lenses. Um, so yeah, after the match, I, I dropped my frames off to him and he took them back with him and I got them in. So that was how that relationship kind of started. I fall, I fell in love with those lenses. I didn't realize how different you know i always I either ran sunglasses or i ran clears yep um and then once i started shooting with those 
it, I, I even tried to go back to clears to see if it was like, if I was just drinking the Kool-Aid or if it yeah. legit, like was a more enjoyable experience and I couldn't stand shooting with clears anymore. Um, even with sunglasses, like it just muted everything. So yep. that's been a great relationship. Brian's an absolute fantastic guy. Um, love getting to to be able to represent his his product because I, I really do love it. I do believe in it. I think it's great. Um, yeah, and you get to work with that cool chick. Who works there? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of the other companies like Voodoo Tactical, we, we just kind of met through... Um, I think through matches and, and going and, and just chatting with the people and then with... Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit with with working with Nils and stuff like that. Like we've we've made the introductions and we just work together uh, really well. We we communicate with one another like we're you know brothers almost. And um, I don't know. Like I think I think when people see the the way we interact with each other, the way we talk, not just with each other but also other people, um, and out in public and in the match settings and stuff, we just kind of come across as pretty decent. Uh, representatives for the brands and stuff. So Voodoo, Voodoo's had been another great company. Um, for those that don't know, uh, I, they they end up making a lot of products for other companies as well. So you might even say like, oh, well, their bag sucks, but I got this. I got the Safari Land three gun bag, and that was the best bag ever. Well, news for you, Voodoo <laughs> Tactical made the Safari Land three gun bag. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like back in the day. A lot of people, I it was funny when I when I was shooting for Rock Island uh, when I first started. I had a lot of people that that told me that you know rock islands were crap. They're cheap. They're you know third world country quality. Blah blah blah. And and then I had a guy, uh, at one guy in particular, that told me that uh, I should have just saved up and bought a real gun like a, a STI Spartan, which was a nine millimeter single stack that STI sold. Yep. What the guy didn't realize is that Rock Island Armory made the STI Spartan. It was it was a branded OEM project that we did with them. Wow. So after I informed him, if if I said like, "Do you have a Spartan?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, how, so how do you like shooting your Rock Island then?" Because that's exactly who made it. You know, um, <laughs> makes for fun conversations, but people don't know what the hell they're talking about. But um, yeah, no, and then, and Vortex actually, you know, Vortex has been a great relationship too, a great company to work with. Ruben Allison is is one of the nicest guys in the industry as well, and um, they kind of brought me on when three gun nation was a thing so i was on the tv show um, i had qualified for the pro tour i'd won my series and then i i made it to the finals and when i was going to the finals uh for three gun nation nationals and then the shootout um vortex was nice enough at that time like they didn't really know who i was too much but i'd reached out to them because i was having i was having issues with my optics Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of shopping around and I was asking them if there was anything they could be, they could do for me, even if it was just like, let me borrow one so I can just have a good gla- piece of glass or whatever. And they sent me a Spitfire. Um, so that's a prismatic, yep. you know, one power laser etched reticle. And I, I ran that for nationals, even though other guys were still running scopes. I mean, three gun nation, you didn't shoot out past 50 yards. So yeah. I didn't feel like I needed a, a very optic scope. And then I got disqualified at nationals for a stupid rule. Um, and then I go to the shootout and then I get disqualified in the shootout. <laughs> and then I had made it far enough that they had me go up and, and shoot for third place. Um, or yeah, it was, it was either third or fourth place against Nick Atkinson. And I ended up, we uh, ended up beating him. So I'm, I'm probably one of the only people I know 
that can say they were disqualified twice in one day and still won $5,000 in a match. I remember you telling me the story. Uh, That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting time, but that was kind of how the relationship started was that was them just sending me a spitfire and then me just going out, rocking it, doing as well as I did. And then afterwards, I think at, at shot show, we, we met up and discussed a little bit more and then they brought me on board. And since then, like, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure if anyone follows me on Instagram, you'll know how much I absolutely love Vortex. Not just the optics, but even the clothes. Like, I'm, I'm wearing a vest, the shirts of Vortex, the hats of Vortex. I mean, I their stuff is just so good. So, I'm, I got Vortex socks on. The only thing I don't have on is Vortex pants and underwear. Um, just no but, pants. Gary. I mean, it's, just as soon as, as soon as they make some, <laughs> as soon as they make some, it's going to be on me. But, um, so yeah, no, there's just, there's just been a, a lot of great companies that, that have gotten me there. And I, and I can say too, that there was, there was one other person that really, really helped propel me to where I am. And that was Pete Rensing, who um, at the time uh, ran a company called iScope LLC. And he's the guy that kind of brought a lot of the matches in Vegas to the level that they were for a while. Um, he spent a lot of time, energy and effort to, to train me up and to call me an idiot when I needed to be called an idiot. Um, so every day. And still to this day, I mean, he's probably one of the best coaches that I know just because it's not, it's, you know, when it, when it comes to instruction, there's a lot of people that can do, um, and there's a lot of people that can show you what they can do, but they have a hard time explaining why they're doing it or breaking down what it is that you're doing wrong, why you're doing it and how to correct it. But yep. Pete, Pete actually used to train guys for like the X games and snowboarding, um he used to train golfers for the pga tour and stuff like that so i mean he's got a, a very long history of, of training people at a professional level and shooting was no different so that's so cool now did you actually go to college or didn't you just go straight into this work so the extent of my college education i mean i barely graduated high school that's just because i was a dumbass and a lazy ass and all sorts of dumbass stuff uh, the extent of my education though, for college was actually just for EMT school. So I didn't, I don't have a degree or anything like that. I literally went there for one semester of, well, I, I did one semester of fire science and then I did a semester of EMT training for basic and then a semester for EMT advanced and then called it quits there, started working at an EMS. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'm going to type it in the chat too, but when and why did you move to where you are now? So, yeah, I mean, I was born and raised in Vegas. I did a quick little like three month stint down in Phoenix when I was younger and, and wanted to move back to Vegas. So I did. And about God, so what is this? Three years, three and a half years ago or so, whenever the pandemic was was kicking off. Um, you know, Kelly and I had, had just had our baby and we got to go um, visit her family here in Chillicothe, which is where I'm at now. And the first time I came out here, it was kind of like, okay, that's, that's kind of nice. It's really green. And we had like this awesome thunderstorm that rolled through um, and, and no one wore masks. Like I could get out of Vegas and not have to wear a mask going shopping at, at Walmart and stuff like that, uh, which yes, we do have a Walmart. So we're, we're at least that civil. Um, so we ended up coming out here maybe like three or four times to visit. And each time I just like, fell in love more and more with it and uh we'd go back home to vegas and in the summertime like it'd just be brutal um 
our little one just absolutely loved being outside and you we could never take her out there because it was too damn hot even after the sun went down like it was still miserably hot she couldn't just like run around in the front yard or anything like that i didn't have a front yard really at the rental we had either just because the property sizes and stuff um so when the pandemic happened that that kind of proved that uh working remote was doable and you could get some decent results obviously from the work like it's easy to track whether or not someone's doing their job right they're either not doing what they need to do or not and so after that the first couple of months or so i asked if i could relocate if that would be an issue and the company had no issue with it so we just packed up and rolled out here to chillicothe missouri took about uh that's about two and a half days to drive out here um, just because driving with a U-Haul and a trailer hauling your car, you can't you can't go over 55 miles an hour. Um, so it was a long drive. And I hate driving. I absolutely hate it. Like, loathe it. And eight years of EMS driving 200 to 300 miles a day in a 12-hour shift and still ending up back in the same city sure. was stupid. So I hated driving. So that was, um, <laughs> that was hard to try and convince myself that that would be a good idea. What year in 2020 then um, did you move? Or what month? Sorry. Uh, we moved out here at the end of September. Okay, so I moved in December. Yeah, it was like September pandemic. September 20th or something like that. 20, nah, somewhere along there. End of September. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you moved up there. And this is during, yeah, the pandemic time. How do you think it's actually been more productive for company to have people working remotely or as contractors and, and stuff like that versus in an office? I don't know. I don't I don't pay the bills, so I don't have to see like what the air conditioning cost is at the office and and power costs and all that kind of stuff. Um I know that there I mean there's obviously ups and downs. I think I think by by working remotely, especially when you got like a little little toddler around that doesn't understand what like why is daddy up in his office for 5 hours straight? Like I want to go see him, so I'm going to go open the door and just run up there and you know, start screaming in his office just even doesn't matter if he's on a, a Zoom call or not. Um, so there can be distractions like uh, that. was one nice thing about being able to go into an office is like once, once you leave the house and it's pretty much well known that you're, you're gone, you're busy, you're doing whatever. But, um, I don't know. It was also way nicer, you know, with my, with my first daughter, who's 15 now, I was, I was working two jobs at some points and, you know, during her childhood and stuff. So there was times where like, I would see her when we would wake up and then I would see her as she was getting ready to go to bed. And that was it. I didn't really spend a lot of, I get to spend a lot of time with her. I didn't get to, to watch her grow up or anything like that. Versus this time it's like, you know what, if, if in order to calm her down from having a hissy fit means, okay, I have to put work on pause for 30 minutes to go down there and hang out with her and stuff. Like that was a cool experience to, to get to see way more of this. I call it the little one growing up uh, more than I got to see my mini me grow up. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's really comes down to there's, there's what's important to you. Obviously your job is important. Your paycheck's important, paying your bills and all that kind of stuff, getting food on the table. But yeah. at the same time, it's, um, even if you get a little bit less productivity out of it, I think in the long run, uh, and the mental side of it, like your employees are probably way happier. Um, <laughs> therefore, even if, like I say, even if they don't seem like they're as productive, you'll be able to retain them a lot longer than you could have if you were just driving them to the office and, you know, whipping them all day long. Yeah. I would argue there's still, I think, value and productivity working remotely. Like people are more responsible to either get it done or you don't. They fire you, they keep you. 
you know, and then like you do have the flexibility, I think, to work when you need to get stuff done. So like for me, I'm not a, I'm not an 8am. I'm not a morning person. Like I'll start actually working at like 10 o'clock in the morning some days, but I'll work till midnight and get it done. Right. So like there's different, I think levels of productivity too, from not being in an office, but. It just depends on what you're doing. Cause like if you're in sales, you don't yeah. get to hang out until 10 o'clock and then finish your last PO at midnight because the offices have been closed and POs aren't being <laughs> yeah. accepted anymore. So just kind of depends on what you're doing, but yeah. um, no, 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 I think, I think, um, like I said, as long as you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing and the company can keep track of what you're doing and how you're doing it, then, you know, what the hell, why not? So, so how did you actually back up to like, uh, your progression in the sport? I know you started a C class, like how did you progress in, and did you just put in the training hours, live fire, dry fire? Like, how did you improve? Well, so I, I remember I, I started as an unclassified. I was officially a D class. I literally climbed into every, like, I didn't go from, from D class to A class. Like I went from D class to C class to B class to A class to master to grandmaster. So I literally hung out in every single, um, class that, that there is in USPSA. I can say that. If if someone was just to go on this journey, if they were going to start the journey and they just wanted to do it all solo, no help, no instruction, no, like, tell everyone to shut their mouth. I don't care what you think you saw me do. Like, I want to figure it out on my own. Uh, I think in USPSA, the majority of the time, you could probably get, uh, at the time, I would say maybe C class is where you would plateau. Um, but nowadays with YouTube and all the instructional videos, regardless if they're good or bad, I mean, even the bad videos have some sort of tip or trick that someone can use. You could probably make it up to B, maybe even A class. Um, but there, for me, what, what helped drive me to get out of C class to A class, which is where I plateaued my first time, was the ability to live fire as much as i was able to once i got my ammo sponsorship from arms corps mm-hmm. um not that dry fire isn't a great tool and isn't very valuable um it's boring as fuck and there's even tools out there like i i've got several of them from like i marksman and i dry fire so you've got these laser cartridges you've got the cool fire trainers where it actually cycles your slide and all kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of things that can make dry fire a little bit more enjoyable. Therefore you'll want to do it more. But at the end of the day, everyone wants to go out and live fire because you get the actual recoil experience. You get the actual feedback of seeing holes appear down range or hearing steel hit and stuff. Like there's, there's a mental side of it that you just can't replicate at home in dry fire. So for me, it was, it was having the ammo to actually go out and, and, train the way i wanted to mm-hmm. um and then the next thing that you know obviously not everyone can get an ammo sponsorship so if you can't get that then what you need to do is you need to find a coach and the reason why i say that is because as a shooter you can say i suck at reloads but unless you have a training regiment and a way to to work on or to develop a training program that focuses on reloads and what part of it is it, you know, someone to actually watch you to say, okay, it looks like you're losing time when you're dropping your mag, like you're, you're ripping the mag out of the bottom of the gun instead of just letting gravity do its job. Like having someone that can actually pinpoint all of your shortcomings or where you're losing time and then specifically create a training regimen for you designed to improve that area is invaluable. 
So even if that means like if you have to pay someone to train you, then fine, do it once a month and then just let him build a training regimen. By, by next month, we should see these improvements. So here are the drills that I want you to do over the next month. That's going to be huge because now, you know, anyone can go out and say, oh, yeah, I shot 500 rounds of training today. But unless you can actually say like what exactly you trained, like if you just put a target out and shot 500 rounds at it, that's not training. Nope. That's just you wasting ammo and, you know, whatever. So, um, and picking up a bad habit, I'm sure <laughs> along the way. Oh, uh, I mean, here's, here's the thing. If you, you can do a bad habit fast enough to be good. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's obviously the world that the majority of us live in, what we think is uh, efficient, what we think is appropriate or, or, you know, the, the best way to execute whatever. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is there's people like, uh, Eric Grafell, you know, the new standard is to not put your finger on the front of your trigger guard. And I guarantee you that with Eric's front finger on his trigger guard, he still smokes everyone. It was eight, eight world shoots, world shoots in a row now. So, um, yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even he says like when he, when he teaches people now, like he teaches all the fingers under the trigger guard, but he just can't, it's, it's, inst it's his instinct. It's, you know, it's what he does. So there's no sense in him trying to change it, yep. but yeah. So you can you can be fast. You can be wrong fast enough to be effective. Yep. Yep. So I know you've only had a few or just one, but I just still love to feel better about myself. So why? How, how have you tripped and fallen while shooting? And then how is that executed out? <laughs> uh, you already know how I tripped and fall because I've everyone's so fun. Everyone's seen my videos when I post them on Instagram. Do those uh, they, go they viral? Like, they don't go as viral as the Tom Hanks video that I posted, um, but <laughs> they they definitely get more interactions than like when I do really well on a stage. Yep. You Isn't people suck. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, like, let's see. So, Red October is the notorious fall where the carpet on the platform caught my foot because it wasn't stapled on the left side of it, and I almost like. I can laugh about it now, but the fact of the matter is when I was going down, my head was so close to the edge of one of those stairs. I very I could have very seriously been injured. Yeah. Um, and it was all happening in slow motion. Like I saw those stairs coming at my face very, very slowly. And I, I had plenty of time to consider my life choices. Um, there was that. There was a fall in, in Vegas that I took. I tripped in uh, during a three-gun match. That one wasn't too bad. I just broke a PMAG. Um, and I, and I bloodied a pair of my, my clover pants. <laughs> Is there any other falls? So I think the only other time I've, I can't think of any other falls that I have. Um, the only other funny video that I have is where I, the Steven, uh, the, the Steve Carell video screaming, no, when my, yes. when my AR mag drops out of the second time. So I'm not as clumsy as you're trying to make me no, out to be it's at the just beginning. So fun. But. Just keep posting the same video. <laughs> now, oh. if you, now, if you want to, if you want to talk to someone about falling during matches, you need to talk to uh, the other team arms core members, uh, Casey Ryan. Okay. Okay. And and the reason I say that is because she's she's fallen a lot during matches, but she's also fallen. She she used to be like a like obviously she doesn't do it anymore. But when she was younger, she was a dancer like ballet and all kinds of stuff. And she has some great videos of her falling on stage 
because like the floor would be too slick or something and she wasn't oh my god i mean some of them the the smack sound that happens when she hits the ground is epic so it's not funny but it's funny if you guys don't follow her shoot shoot with casey uh and yeah i'm not not talking about casey ryan like the army or the air force dude i'm talking about another different casey ryan female shooter for team arm score but she's got some epic videos uh of her falling at matches too and mgm iron man i think was one of the more epic ones where she was like mgm iron man was a a a big three-gun match that travis gibson used to put on with mgm targets out in parma idaho and it was huge like you'd shoot from seven o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night and then you would still be behind so like some guys would have to shoot with like headlights and stuff to you know finish the stages or weapon lights or whatever but big big stages um Coaching was allowed, so you basically would bring a team of people with you. So, like, as you're shooting, they would tell you, like, three targets on the left, two targets on the right, one steal, run, you know, haul ass, and then stop there, stop there, come back. And, like, they could sell you, like, oh, come back, come back, you missed the target, like, you know, stuff like that. And, like, you're talking, you'd shoot, like, 40, 40 rounds of shotgun, and then you'd follow that up with, like, 50 rounds of of ar stuff been with like 15 of them being long range targets from 100 to 500 yards out and then you'd finish it with 48 rounds of pistol and that'd be one stage jesus <laughs> so um so there was a stage that she was running where she had to run down the side of a berm to get to a golf cart and she didn't she made it down the berm just not entirely on her feet the entire time so um it's it's awesome I'll I'll see if she can post it. I'll ask her to post it because okay. it's just funny as hell. But it's too funny. <laughs> so when did your creative, colorful pants come into play? Was that always part of your personality? Uh, personality, yeah, but uh, it wasn't a thing until it was a handgun nationals back in Vegas at Desert Sportsman's. I can't remember how long. It might have been maybe maybe nine years ago nine or 10 years ago. And, and basically what had happened was that as you see, everyone thinks that I put the pants on just for, cause I'm an attention seeking whore. I mean, that's that too. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's not true, but that's not the reason behind the pants. The reason <laughs> behind the pants is that, um, when I did start picking up sponsors and started getting a little bit more serious about shooting, I would get very pissed off at myself whenever I would make a mistake. So I'd throw a miss, I'd hit a no shoot. I'd, you know, whatever it was. Um, and instead of knowing how to pull an Elsa and let it go, I would carry it with me or I'd be pissed off at the next stage and I would just snowball. So even at the local level, that that would happen. And I started becoming like I I felt like I was becoming a bigger dick than I needed to be for a le- uh, for a local level. And if I went to a big match, I can only imagine three days of it of, you know, me sucking it was just going to be a, a train wreck. So the pants were actually a reminder to me that I I started shooting because it was fun. I got serious about shooting because it was fun. And if I forget that it's for fun, then I might as well just go ahead and sell my gear and move on to something else because why the fuck would I waste my time doing something I already hate? I have a job for that, right? Um, not this job, but back then I had a job that I hated. So, <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. So the pants were just a reminder for me to like look down and say, how serious can you be taking shit right now? Like, look what you're wearing in public. People can see you. Um, so smile 
giggle, you know, and that that was the biggest thing. Now it's just become my thing. Yep. Um, and I'll say this: those pants. I don't care what any of you say. Um, they're the most comfortable shooting pants that I've ever worn. I've worn five elevens. I've worn true specs. I've yeah. It's they the loudmouth golf pants are by far the most comfortable pants <laughs> in the shooting industry. And not to mention, I'm way more tactical than any of you guys. True. Wearing ridiculous clothes. Yeah. And Just like saying, I- if, <laughs> when we when we go out to lunch after a match, everyone else is wearing their tactical bullshit mm-hmm. and I'm wearing those pants. Well, if a bad guy walks in, all my friends are getting blasted first. No one's gonna <laughs> think that the dude in the in the the stupid pants has a gun on him. Oh, so God. I just thought about that. You know, and it was weird because your gray man is blending in like or like your your gray man is not blending in i don't know how to say that but when you are wearing like regular fdes at shot show i'm like where's john guys he's not here (laughs) well it kind of sucks that i mean i know i'm asian and we all look alike but like people recognize me more from my ass in the pants than they do from my face or my shooting skill still to this day i mean i'm not i'm not gonna say i'm the best shooter in the world i'm not Mm -hmm. i don't even consider myself an elite level shooter but i do think i'm pretty damn good um I'm like one of the most I'm like one of the most okayest average shooters out there. Um, you're better than that, but you are branded. You're the, you're one of the most branded shooters out there, and that is hard to create. You're like Lady Gaga. <laughs> Thanks. That's a compliment. I like her. She's very stylish. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> she made it. She's at the elite. Oh, whatever. But pants are your thing. Now, when you go into, I know you've been like hunting and fishing and doing other activities. Are you still wearing these pants or are you actually going to put on some camo? No, I've put on camo um, just because I needed all the help I can get to learn uh, what the hell I was doing. However, <laughs> knowing what I know about white-tailed deer now... Um, <laughs> Next season, I do totally intend on wearing a pair of my loudmouth pants to go out and hunting and and try and kill a deer with it on camera. Um, Have you ever watched the movie My Cousin Vinny? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember that? This is my favorite line in that movie. Remember when she goes, what kind of deer gives a fuck? What kind of pants? The son of a bitch you shot him with wearing. exact line. That's what I just came to mind for you. That'd be... That'd be great. I think if if I pull that off, I'm totally going to cut that clip into my video. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's a great point. Absolutely. No, I, I and the only reason I didn't do it this year was because by the time someone brought it up, mm-hmm. um, it was starting to get so cold. And those pants are not very thick. No. Um, and it doesn't matter how many uh, layers of underneath I put, like, you know, 28 degrees is cold as shit. So I need all I need all the help and insulation I can get. Um, and I can't wear them turkey and I can't wear them turkey hunting because they will notice the difference between, you know, regular camo. So I'll have to keep it for deer. Um, hell, I might. Maybe I can go out like coyote hunt or something like that wearing the goofy ass yeah. pants. But um, no, deer hunting this year for sure is going to be on the list of early season. I'm going to plan on going out in my loudmouth golf pants. Um, I love it. And killing a deer. The only thing I will do is I'll switch to my my camos or jeans when it comes time to field dress it because I ain't getting blood on those things. <laughs> they're, too they're, too da- they're too damn expensive. They're very expensive. Now, uh, so the deer hunting stuff, had you done that growing up or you're saying you were literally self-teaching yourself how to do that now? I'm not going to say I was self-teaching, but I did not hunt for 36 years of my life until I moved out here. Yeah. Um, now, maybe it was 34 because technically I moved out here when I was 34, but... Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't necessarily do self hunt. 
or self-taught because there were a lot of people here that kind of gave me tips and pointers and kind of showed me like, okay, here's where you, you know, like they had stands already set up. So it's not like I had to go out and, and I, I had the, I had the luck of finding someone private land. So it's also, it, I didn't have to learn all the public land. Um, you know, yeah. I, I have yet to this day to experience what a public hand, a public land hunt is like. I know that everyone says it's absolutely crazy and busy as hell and, you know, uh, and depending on where you are, the kind of people you have to deal with can be very unsafe. Um, so I, I, I got a little bit now what I'll say this though, where, where I didn't have to deal with the public land side, I did have to learn with, um, not only am I trying to figure out how to hunt, I'm also trying to film myself figuring out how to hunt. Yeah. So that added, I think, uh, that probably made the whole process twice as more complex. twice as difficult. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. If you could have a buddy to go hunting to create co- uh, to create like the content for you, it's really nice. Like I know I'm blessed. Like when Brian got two of my kills on camera, and I was trying to figure it out for myself on the third one, when I was shaking so bad, I didn't want to lose the, this dough, and I was like, I want to film it. Were you really worried about content filming? It's hard, right? Because that's what we do and what we want to do. But I really also want that meat. So, and it's like the longest shot I've ever made by myself, and it's not on video. It's such a bummer. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, it's been a fun experience. Uh, I've gotten a little bit better about figuring out like little gamer techniques for filming and stuff. Like, I don't, I don't go out there with anything super fancy. Yeah. You know, I don't have a thousand dollar camcorder or anything like that. Like, I'm out there literally with like a Canon point and shoot camera and a couple GoPros and. Yep. Um, I mean, hell, your your phone right now is probably one of your best assets as far as filming content, regardless of what it is. So that's one of my primary cameras that I use. And when you have an Apple Watch, it helps too because instead of having to reach up and like turn the camera on and get it filming, you just use your Apple Watch as a remote. Oh, I don't so have an Apple Watch. That's bougie. Bougie. Yeah, a little bit, and bougie. and they're it's kind of annoying. Like, okay. I miss my nice watches. <laughs> But then I put a nice watch on and then I have phantom vibration all day long. Like, I'll just keep looking at my watch thinking that someone texted me and I'm like, I'm not even wearing my Apple watch. Why the fuck am I re- looking at my wrist? That's really bad that you're trained to do that, though. That That's exactly why I don't have it is like I realized if I'm in the moment and I'm looking at my buzzing, like that's so bad, especially shooting. Like, I know people that get texts and calls while they're like shooting a stage. I'm like, this is why I can't live with that. Well, no, if, I, if I'm shooting, then uh, if I'm shooting, then normally I wear my brazen watch that that uh, I was given. Um, or if I happen to have my Apple watch on me, I turn my phone to airplane mode. So I don't get notifications. Yeah. I turn all my notifications off, but that's fair. It's still weird. Think about phantom vibration, but okay. Anyways, back to, I want to know about that deer stuff too. Did you learn to skin the deer by yourself? Did you have, again, some help or is this just you all on your own? I really want to know the process that you went through here. So the first, the first buck that I got, so the, the rule that I made for myself when I started deer hunting was that I wasn't going to allow uh, my first my first deer was going to be a buck, and it was going to be with a bow. I refused to shoot something with a, a handgun or a rifle or anything like that because I felt like it was cheating. Um, so I used a bow. My first bow kill, um, the guy who owned the property, his name is Aaron Baker. He he came out, and he showed me how to gut the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he did it for me with me watching and, and learning. And then... I took it to a processor and just had them process the meat for me because I was still so brand new. I had no clue. Like I literally after I got done shooting that that deer and I watched him go down, I was like in the stand going like, well, now I don't know what to do now. So I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to call people and then tell them to come help me and figure out what the hell to do. Right. Uh huh. 
And so the, the, after we went to the processor and I went and picked up my meat, I don't know if I wasn't clear with communicating how I wanted the guy to cut my deer up or anything like that, but he completely and utterly butchered this thing. And I was so pissed um, with how he cut it up that I refused to ever do it again. So this la- uh, two years or now last year, um, after I killed my buck, I got it in myself. Uh, I brought him home. And <clears throat> we basically... Uh, skinned him quartered him on the driveway and just like i kept watching the uh steven rennell has got a video of how to skin a deer and then quarter it and then how to rip the the um the quarters apart and how to tear crop the muscle groups and stuff and i just kept watching that video like on record back like so i if i'd get lost i'd rewind the video up to where that was and then i'd watch the video again so so yes, uh, as far as butchering the deer has been a, a form of self-taught. Like I said, with YouTube, you can pretty much do everything, right? Yep. Um, but so that's that's kind of how I've learned it. So this last year, like I still needed the video to kind of help me out a little bit, but I, yeah, I wasn't rewinding the video nearly as often as I was last year. Um, and I'm sure it's just going to get better and better. But yeah, so so part of it was self-taught. But a lot of it, like I said, I've I've had a lot of help with people kind of showing me tips and tricks and how to do it and stuff like that. So, yeah. did you guys buy like a meat grinder? Uh, we've we've had one. Kelly's Kelly's brother had one that he won at like a Quails Forever um, <laughs> banquet dinner or something like that. So we've got he had the grinder. He just we just leave it over here because he when he gets a deer, he takes it to his buddies and his buddy has a whole processing shop. So he never used it. Cool. Um. But yeah, so we've got that, and and actually, what I what I figured out too is like, not that I, I mean, I've got some parts of my my first deer that I still haven't even used, just because like it's they're like the roast cuts, and I'm like, oh, I just never think about pulling them out and throwing them in the crock pot or anything like that yet. <laughs> so what I found is that like I don't do roasts nearly as much. Maybe maybe once I try it, then I'll I'll start doing it more often. But I don't do it quite as often. And then the deer jerky mm-hmm. um, is more of what what we burn through a lot of once I start making it. So um I basically got to a point now where I'm like, okay, once I pull the back straps out and the tenderloins and turn those into steaks, the rest of it I'm just gonna throw in the grinder and make for either <laughs> burger or deer jerky because Yeah. That's what we do. So Yeah. No, it's it's fun to figure out what you like and don't like. Like I'm actually a really big like summer sausage person, but then I don't really like deer sausage and I I don't know why, but like the the jerky that um Triple Forks processing down where Brian's property, you know, uh they make the best jerky I've ever had. I can't top it. I don't know what mm-hmm. they they add crack. I think they just sprinkle crack on top. <laughs> so that's what Brian does though. His if he ever goes in Brian there, Brian sprinkles like, crack on it. <laughs> he sprinkles crack and conical. No, he, that's all he eats is the deer jerky. He doesn't eat any venison at all. Just I want all deer jerky, and I'm like, bro. There's other stuff to be made. <laughs> yeah, and and being someone that ate beef and steak and stuff his whole life, like the first couple times I ever had venison was like as soon as I would open the meat up, it was like okay, there's a very just like I could tell this is not beef, very different with the smell and the taste and the texture. But the more and more I ate it, the more I'm like Jesus Christ, like this is really really good. And you just got to learn how to cook it. Anyone that says it's gamey, you're cooking it wrong. Then but you're cooking it wrong. Yeah, lots, lots of butter, lots of garlic. Yeah, I mean, and then the tips and tricks is just like soaking it in salt water, soaking it in milk, or just being able to fry it with a little bit of mustard. It sounds weird, but like my mom, I mean, they're from Louisiana, my whole family's redneck, so they were poor and they had deer (laughs) meat was their go-to, but it's funny, like now, they don't hunt as much, and now I just got into it, and I'm like, 
I'm the only one and I'm the weirdo likes cutting up animals. <laughs> but it's fun. I, I was curious, why did you get into it? I mean, like, I've always wanted to. I never had the opportunity, but, you know, you get to move to this great area where, with hunting and you just like said, fuck it, let's go. Uh, I think part of me actually was it part of it is brought to you by the pandemic yeah. and the fact that like with the, the grocery cost being what they went and became, I, it was like, wow, if I had to go out and try and find food, like I'd be fucked. Yep. Um, so I was a little bit about the, the desire to figure it out. But in reality, like I, I've always had all this awesome firearms equipment and gun gear and stuff like that around, like, and just no one really to share the knowledge with me. Um, I mean, it could have been very possible that I went out, did my first hunt and found out that this just isn't for me and never did it again. But it just happened to be that I I really quite enjoy it. And more more and more people, I think, are starting to. Like, I think the pandemic brought a lot of that out. I see more people getting into archery or getting into hunting now more than I have before. Um, Like Casey Eusebio, like, I don't know if he was a hunter beforehand, but like the last couple of years, he's gotten really into it. I knew Jesse was Julie Golub, who's like an hour away from me here in Missouri. She's she's really big into it and all that kind of stuff. Now, she she has been. It's not like she decided to to get into it, but um, yeah, it was just it was just a completely different lifestyle. And like, I, I get it now. Like there was there was a time where. I we would have a we would have a three gun match scheduled in like October in Vegas. It was the Surefire, uh, yeah, I think it was the Surefire World World Championships or whatever. Right, it was like September October, and when Pete would send out the invites, people to come attend the match, he'd get so many ter- uh, no's because the response would be like, "It's hunting season. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not going to take time out of my hunting season to come shoot a three gun match." And I was just always I was like, "It's fucking weird. Like why?" are you serious? Like, why would you not want to come shoot a three gun match? And now that I've gotten into hunting, I'm like, you know, work will be like, Hey, we need you to go shoot. We need you to go to this event. It's in October. And I'm just like, you guys are fucking killing me. Like Jesus Christ. Not funny, but I agree. Like all of October last year was gone every single weekend. It was two nationals, like back to back. And all I, I only get one weekend a year now to go hunting. And Brian and I, like we look at triple forks calendar. I'm like, I need to book it a year in advance. And it's no joke. Like I can't, move it for anything and i have three days i do a three-day hunt to get as much animals legally right with like the buck rules the doe rules that i can and i only got two this season but it filled my freezer for me thank god like with families though i mean that's your only opportunity and hunting season's real i'm like we're lucky and blessed you know like you've got access to private land i do too but i do know people that have to do all the stuff ahead of time for their own they've got to put the the work into their fields and the the feeders and i enjoy that part of it too which is really weird but like that is a full-time commitment to your land, you know, if it's yours. So. Yeah. When, and that's the nice thing about the guy that, that I hunt uh, his land is that basically like he has, he's got a property up North that's it's 40 acres. Um, and he, he lets some other people come out and, and hunt the property as well. And we had a, we, I'm not going to say it was a run in, but we had an incident where I showed up to hunt and there was already someone there hunting. Wasn't a big deal for me. I just, went on and moved to another location that I knew was there. Um, but afterwards I brought up, I was like, Hey man, just, if you, if you're going to go out there, just let me know. So I don't, I don't disturb your hunt is really yeah. the big thing. Like I don't want to drive my car all the way up to that part, that side of the property, scare everything away while you're hunting. If I could have just stopped earlier and gone to a, a different spot, 
-hmm. And it became this whole thing of like, oh, well, yeah, it's not your property. But I was like, I never said it was. So it became a big old thing. So he he basically, the, the owner of the property called me up and was just like, look, he's like, stick to that 20 acres that you can hunt that you can do whatever the hell you want with it. So if you want to try and do a food plot, like that's fine. Like do whatever you want with that 20 acres. So he kind of like, let me use this property, uh, half, half of the 40 acres that he has up there and I can set it up how I want. So I can move stands if I want to and all kind of stuff. Um, so that was kind of nice. And yeah, this year, like I, I went out there with my weed whacker and I went out there with some roundup and, you know, gave myself cancer and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, killing off a little field that the only downside this year was that the food plot, the little micro food plot that I was, I was trying to put in, um, you know, I watched the weather report, like they said, I saw rain was coming in. So I said, great. I went out there with a rake. I broke the ground up. I threw fertilizer. I threw the seed, like as it was raining on me, mm-hmm. um, went home, it rained for two days. And then there was supposed to be like a two day lull. And then like another two days of rain. Well, those two days of rain never came. And I ended up getting like four weeks of just, dry hot weather and it killed off whatever started to germinate so i didn't actually get a food plot in um this past year just because the weather wasn't cooperating with me um but still that that process of like going out there and yeah putting in three four hours of blood sweat and tears and stuff just kind of and it's you know it's not even the the funniest thing is that it's not for a guarantee you're just improving your odds but yep that's it that's why, again, you get I get one weekend, three days, and if I see nothing, that's tough. But that is part of the process. And I grew up duck hunting, so I just remember being in waders my whole life and like putting leaves in front of the. It was like in the water stand, and then we had like a boat underneath and the dogs and stuff, and getting the decoys ready. I mean, there's so much dedication to it. But um, I was going to ask you too, what bow are you hunting with? Uh, so I've got a Prime Logic that I okay. bought. Um, what five years ago now six years ago however long it was yeah uh and that that was an interesting experience because i bought it brand new right so i spent like 1200 bucks on it 1100 dollars for it um and then i learned really quickly that if i would have just waited until the next next model came out then i instantaneously that price goes down to like 800 dollars. so i could have gotten it still brand new from the store but because the new models were in they would have cut the price of the old ones so I learned pretty quickly how how that works. So now, like I, I've still just been using the same bow. Uh, luckily, Prime. I love I love the Prime bow. I think it's awesome. Um, they've they've swapped it up a little bit, but it's one of the bows that um, they have like a parallel cam system. So on the top, instead of just being one cam, one cam, it's actually got two that are side by side on the top and the bottom, huh. and it's supposed to help making it's supposed to help make tuning the bow a little bit easier. Um, the grip is also different than the standard bow. Uh, typically, your standard bow has um, the the knock point and all that stuff, like dead center of the string between the two cams. The prime is different. The prime actually puts the the grip of the bow dead center. So you're at your knock point is actually a little bit higher over center. So what they have to do is that your your top cam is actually a little bit bigger than your bottom cam to uh, release for the difference in the fact that the knock point is a little bit higher. You're not technically right in the middle of the string. Right. Um, so it makes it a little bit more complicated to try and get work done to the bow. But like I've, I've had the bow. I've never had to have it worked on tuned or anything like that. Um, What's your draw weight? Uh, I've got mine set to 68 oh. and I, I kind of wish it was up a little bit higher. Um, but I don't want to buy new limbs for it because I mean, sixty-eight works fine. But yeah, uh, that's heavy. 
I can't pull that. Oh, it's a good thing you don't have to. It's my bow. Uh, uh, I have a bow. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't think I could ever hit 68 freaking pounds. I think Mike Stoker is at, like, 75. I could be wrong now. Probably is at 80. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I could if I could swap him out to to 70 or 80 pound limbs, then that'd be nice. Um, and yeah. really, that's just because all that would do... It's not that I need more speed necessarily because, like, I'm afraid of pen. Like, I've got pass-throughs, no problem. Yeah. Um, the only reason I want a little bit more weight and a little bit more speed would be so it would open up um, a longer shots for me without having to do more of a holdover. And the idea of the fact that, like, okay, if the arrow's flying faster, it's less time for the wind to do something goofy to it or anything like that. But in yeah. reality, I'm, I haven't shot a deer I had one that I was I tried to shoot at and I ended up uh shooting over her back because I I, I had this whole experience. I'll, I'll I'll tell you that in a second, but I had one that I shot over the top of um and she was at 30 yards. But basically what happened I was I was in my stand. Was that um, the video I, real quick? Was that the video you made? Yeah, yeah. So so I, I actually started a, a Instagram page called FPS Outdoors. It's FPS underscore outdoors. And what that is is kind of my follow me along as I figure out how to how to not screw up hunting as often as I do. Um and like I do like I do like gear review and I show like, okay, here's what I'm gonna take hunting and here's why I'm using this product and da da da. But yeah, so what had happened was that like I'm in my stand, I hear this doe just like come shooting out of the neighbor's property, hops over the fence, lands in our property. But she's starting at about 80 yards out. And she like sprints in, stops, turns around, and just pauses like something spooked her. So I'm like, okay, maybe it was a buck or whatever. Well, she ends up like jolting into the property again, stops like at 30 yards, but she's behind a tree. So there's nothing I could do about it. Um, she's looking back behind her. And then I start hearing leaves rustle and when i look it's a coyote that's chasing her so she she bolts off he comes tropping along the exact same path that she took and i'm like well fuck okay like i already know that the trail she was taking was at 30 yards because i you know i i laser mark all the landmarks around me so i have a good idea if they're at that tree it's 30 if they're this bush it's 20 whatever (laughs) so i grab my i grab my bow and i'm trying to get my cameras turned on but none of them, like, it's, it's just all happening so fast. Like, he's just beelining it to this deer. I don't really have time to get the cameras all up and get my bow in my hand. So instead, I just grab the bow. I, I pull back on, on it. And in that moment, I completely blank out on, like, what noise do you make to stop a, a coyote? Right? The the answer to that question is anything. As a roadrunner. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could scream Hey, you could scream stop. You could scream yoo-hoo and that coyote will stop. My brain just like went full blank like uh I forgot how to make any sort of noise. So I just decided okay, I'm just going to lead him and and try and shoot him on the move. So when I sent the arrow, I ended up being about uh 2 feet off the mark and I I buzzed his tail. Like I could see the fur fly off of his tail on the back end. So um Needless to say, that scared the shit out of him. He took off uh, sprinting at that point. And and I was just kind of pissed off at myself that, that just happened. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I literally, after I sent the arrow, my brain was like, you should have just, like, made a noise. Anything. Anything would have worked. You didn't have to be clever. You didn't have to try and sound like a hunter. You could have just been like, yo, oh, <laughs> you know, anything. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm. 
frustrated about what just happened. I, I, I can't believe that I was an idiot. I completely forgot how to make noise. Um, I missed the, I missed this coyote. So now he's off chasing this deer and probably going to kill her and all that kind of stuff. And so I spent like 10 minutes just being flustered. And then I spent the next 10 minutes, like turning my cameras on talking about what I just, what I just had happen and how pissed off I was and all that kind of stuff. And I had the one camera running and that's the one that I got the shot of, or no, no, that's not, not even for the coyote. No. So yeah, I'm, I'm pissed off, frustrated. So after about 20 minutes or so, um, I decide, okay, I'm just going to go down and go grab my arrow. Um, see if it's damaged or anything like that. And like, I unclip myself from the safety harness. And as I'm like stepping onto my first step, I hear something jump over the fence and it's another doe. Wow. So I'm like, shit. So I wait till she gets behind a tree. I jump back into my tree stand. I clip back in. I grab my bow and all kind of stuff. And I get all my cameras turned on. And she comes along the exact same path. And for whatever reason, I looked at my pins and I said, oh, it's 10, 20, 30, 40. Oh, shit. So I put my 30-yard pin on her. No, that's my 40-yard pin. pin. But my brain is still processing and pissed off about the coyote experience that I had. And I sent it right over her back because, obviously, she wasn't at 40 yards. She was at 30. Um, Dang. Yeah. So, but it's humbling. Everyone's going to miss. That was the first first time I missed shooting at a deer. Ever. Ever. But you had just had this, I feel like, traumatic experience, um, you know, dealing with that. I wouldn't say it was traumatic. I was just, like I said, I was just pissed off that I, I couldn't kill the coyote. Like, uh, I, I know how much of a pain in the ass those things are. So the yeah. fact that there was one running around in daylight chasing a deer, I had a shot at. But So there is a bobcat on the property at Triple Forks that has a reward on its head. If you ever get out there and you kill that sucker, <laughs> I want the bobcat in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I, I would love to do predator hunting one day too. So w- what I wanted to recap all this with too, is that I think you and I have both had to kind of learn and I like to learn, like there's not very many, I think I would say females that want to go like do the whole thing from start to finish. Cause like you said, there's different times we're living in. We want to be able to harvest our own food. Um, it's healthier for you, but it really is overwhelming how much information, unless you have someone that's done it and can guide you, especially when it comes to public land of, of, so many rules, so many access, the different seasons, the different licensing, like there's, it's too much, you know, and it changes so fast. And I think that's where, and I've shared this before with several different companies are like, how do we bring more, uh, you know, gender, color and whatever into to fishing, to hunting. And I'm like, well, there's 7,000 freaking rules and no one to guide them. And unless you like to read and figure it out, it's not fun to figure out, you know? It's, it's yeah, like, and and that's why I started the the. I mean, if you go on my YouTube page, there's a whole thing of FPS Outdoors. Like I said, it's either unboxing or me out hunting. Um, and then the Instagram page, it's literally there. Like it, the 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 project in my mind hasn't hit the ground the way I've pictured it yet. But I'm trying to work with other companies to try and figure out a way to to make it become what it is. But yeah, I mean, essentially, that's the stuff that I want to get rid of. I want to alleviate. Like for example. Living in Vegas, even though I'm still in Vegas, um, I had no clue that all I had to do if I wanted to go coyote hunting was go out on public land and shoot coyotes. No idea. I thought I needed a license. I thought after I'd killed it, I had to find something to do with the carcasses and all that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't realize you can shoot them and leave them there for the vultures and, and you know, um, yeah, just because there was a lack of information. Yep. And no one to tell me. So it, it's the the program that I've done, like I said, with FPS. And it's funny, FPS does not stand for feet per second. It's fancy pants shooter. Um, 
it's feet per second now. We're changing. So yeah, it, today. no, it's fancy pants shooter FPS outdoors. Um, yeah, it was essentially a way for people, like if they ever had any questions to ask without feeling like, okay, if I ask a professional hunter, what do I do this? They're going to give me this very technical answer. Like, no, I, I know it's very fresh in my mind still about being a complete and utter, like, I don't know jack shit about it. So, you know, and, and like I said, it's also the idea, like, I'm not, I'm not sponsored by prime. I'm not sponsored, you know, like I'm sponsored by vortex, but even then, like I, I tell people like, if you can't afford a Vortex, there's other options out there. Yeah. You know, I think Vortex has a great array of options, even when, when it comes to price point and stuff. Like, you don't really need to go anywhere else. But yeah. um, I'm not afraid to say, like, okay, here's here's another option. Here's another company that I think is reputable enough that, you know, you'd be right. happy with and all that stuff. So I'm not going to give you just the, this, you know, how many times have you seen on Facebook where someone's like, hey, I'm brand new to 3Gun and I'm looking to find a holster. Who should I buy? Sponsor instantaneously, shooters. it's all the sponsor, sponsor shooters, shooters saying, oh, you know, Weber Tactical is great. No, it's Blade Tech. No, it's Safari Land. No, it's whatever. And it's just like, I know. how about like and, instead of saying everyone else sucks and this is the only option, how about just saying like a legit, well, what's your price point? What do you look like? Know what you need to get and here are some options for you. Then go out and. Sometimes the answer is you're going to have to buy two or three different kinds to figure out what you really like. Yep. You and know, when it comes so. to hunt, the three gun, for anyone listening, public service announcement, and you might disagree, but I've had enough DQ to deal with it, is uh, hooded holsters in three gun. Good retention, please, in three gun. I've also seen people without them that don't need them, but I saw an elite level, I'm sure we know who, they're talking about, who I'm talking about, but his gun got hung up on this like airplane contraption, jumps out, and whoop, pistols out of the holster. Hood would have prevented that. Would have been more hung up, but like hood. Retention. <laughs> Please. Uh, retention, yes. I don't think but, a hood's necessary. Dude. But no, my, well, no, my I, for example, if you if you've got like a Safari land that actually has the second level where like it's the thumb activated um, retention. I do have that. Actually in front of me. I was that does the they make they make several different models. Uh the it's seven, actually, I think, is one. It's like, thank you, Hunter Constantine. No, I was uh, trying the new Springfield gun out and he sent this to me. But yeah, I think anything that has some sort of level three, which that's why you ask those questions. Because I think like, I think of Weber Tactical and I think of, I think Safari Land, right? But then um, non-hooded stuff like would be Red Hill Tactical. I would not use them in three gun because I've DQ'd with their holsters in three gun. <laughs> it just depends on the holster, what you're looking for. Speed draws, you know, for still challenge, shoot. You don't need a ton of retention, but you're not bending over to reset. You're just spraying some plates too. So it's really not that hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, remember, it's, it's okay if your gun falls out during reset because all you got to do is tell the RO to come pick it up for you. It's not a DQ, but... Yeah. Um, but have you ever dropped yours in sand? <laughs> it's really fun to clean in the middle of the No, I've, I've been lucky enough that my DQs have been for stupid reasons, <laughs> never for an unsafe one. Um, Mine was unloaded. Completely unloaded gun. But yeah, three. it was still considered unsafe. Bring on nation rules. I know. I learned the hard way and now I have hoods. <laughs> well, see, so my, my first handgun nationals ever, I got DQ'd before firing a single shot because I had ammo at the safety area. Oh, and that's not was... unsafe. Is in the safe. Oh area no, it's, it's very unsafe, but I didn't realize it until it was no. already too late. So for people that say, you know, like, Oh, like understand there's two types of people, people that have been DQ'd and people that will be, okay. you're going to get DQ'd. Everyone yeah. does something stupid. I've seen, you know, when we talk about the relationship I have with Nils, see, we've got this, we've got this whole thing of like too soon, right? You're allowed I was to at, <laughs> I was in, 
I was in Arizona shooting superstition three gun with him. Um, I shot the shotgun portion, put the safety on, dropped it in the dump barrel, ran up with my rifle, finished the rifle portion. And when I went back, the safety on my shotgun had been knocked off by the barrel. Um, so I'm getting DQ'd. And as I'm walking back to my bags with my guns in my hands, Nils comes up to me and asks if he can have the rest of my slugs. Oh, Because I don't, because I'm not going to need, need them. them I, I think the exact way he worried, he goes, hey, since you're not, since you don't need them anymore, can I have the rest of your slugs? Like was the way he did it, right? And it's not that he needed the slugs. He just wanted to be an ass. Absolutely. I like that. Right. Now, now I've got guns in my hands. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, maybe he didn't quite look at the no, He knew exactly what he was doing. But either way, so he, it, everyone else thought it was pretty savage. Um I could get, I laughed about it a couple minutes afterwards, but in the moment I was just still so like, what the fuck? You know, like that was so stupid. So I think a couple months after that, he's out shooting the infinity open, which is a pistol match that has an aggregate. So like you could shoot like two, two different matches and two different pistols. And then overall you can win a lot of money. Yeah. So he's out there, he's shooting that match. And I get a message from his uh, now, now wife, but girlfriend at the time, Jessica saying Nils just DQ'd. I immediately closed her text message. I opened up his t- a text message to him and I said, hey, and he was shooting open. <laughs> I said, since you're not shooting the rest of your 38 Super, can I have it? <laughs> and then I screenshotted it and I sent it to Jessica with the caption of too soon. And like he knew it, it as soon as he read it, he told me he's like, I know exactly what you were getting me back for. Yeah. Um, and it was funny, <laughs> even though he just viewed. But that's kind of the relationship we have is like, yeah, too soon. So. I love that though. Holy you know, crap! But even Nils, even Nils has been DQ'd for matches, and you know, Eric, I, I, I think, I, I think Eric's been DQ'd for matches before too. But I actually don't know. I'm sure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Um, I know we talked about a lot. I talked about hunting and shooting and everything else. The only other thing I really want to ask you about because you've seen, you were in the sport way before I was, and you've seen the the difference of social media and just the amount of suppression that we have as to a community you know, but there's still, I think is value in creating content and sharing. And like you said, just being genuine, I, I think with the feet per second, fancy pants, Instagram of sharing your story and how to learn. So I don't know if you want to leave any advice for people, you know, that are looking to, to share their, their story publicly for other people to learn and, and to help. Well, if what you want is views and money, then don't. Yeah. That's the simple answer, gone. <laughs> but gone. <laughs> I mean, you know, start a YouTube channel so it can get shut down. Start an Instagram page so you can be shadow banned. Um, you know, I mean, the only thing that you can really do right now is do Twitter. But even then, you got to pay, you know, what is it, $8 a month or something like that if you want to be considered a real person. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it just depends on what they're looking for personally. Like, uh, I don't do it for the money, um, clearly. Cause it's there entertainment, is no <laughs> but it's you entertaining. Know. Well, and I, I do do it for educational purposes, too. Like, I, I, you know, one of the things that sucks about um, being a, a level shooter that I am, um, and I think I think a lot of the top guys probably see this as well, is I, I understand what the shooting community is in the competition world is all about. Um, I remember what it was like to be brand new. I remember the nerves, the the fear, the everyone's going to judge me. People are like, what if I miss a steel target and I have to do a standing reload? I'm going to look like an idiot and everyone's going to be laughing at me. Like, I I remember all those feelings very clearly uh, and, the, and the type of stress and pressure that I can put on someone. And yet it's all self-inflicted. 
because none of us are look, none of us are laughing at you. None of us are. We all want to see everyone do well, especially as a brand new shooter. We want you to have fun because we want you to come back. Um, and and the problem that I found was it it didn't matter how many times I invited someone to come shoot a match with me. They wouldn't want to because they saw they would watch my videos and say, well, I can't do that. And they'd compare themselves to like what I'm capable of when that's we're talking about the top 10 percent of the shooters in the nation being able to do what I do at my level. Um, so it's not that like you have everyone else is your level, you know, and below or, or above or whatever. But like it's it's not like it's not a range full of me's and you're going to be the only idiot out there. That's taking four times as long to shoot a stage. I'm the exception. I'm the guy that can still go out there and, and put, put limited guys down with a single stack. Like that's just going to happen. But, um, don't be afraid to, to give it a try. I mean, what, what's the worst that happens is you go out there, you try, you try it and you don't like it. You don't have to go again. Okay. Then great. But you know, it's that whole thing. You can't can't really hate something until you try it. Um, we'll have more respect for you when you do as a community as well. That's the biggest thing. And it's like, we have more respect for people embarrassing themselves or getting out there and trying it than we do people that won't even try it. You'll yeah. learn, and we all started somewhere. We all started somewhere. And you learn that, that uh, again, like I said, like the only thing really people really want to see is you succeed. No, yeah. no, no one wants to see you fail. No one wants to see you trip and fall, regardless of if Kenzie's laughing at you in the background or not. Um, now, granted, once you once you become established, then yes, your friends are going to want to see you fail in epic fashion. Um, There's a video I posted of Area 3 when I was shooting PCC this past year where I get to this last position and there's three targets that I can literally smack upside the head. <laughs> um, and I completely trigger freeze on all three targets six times in a row. So I shoot it in the most stupid IDPA tactical order possible. Like I, I know uh, Nils's wife took like 20, 20 times to watch the video and she still couldn't figure out what order I actually shot the targets in. <laughs> Sorry. That's and yet I, and yet I was able to do like, I got only two hits. I didn't have any extra hits, but in the, in the video, as soon as I get done doing that, you hear the most obnoxious laugh in the background from a guy named Bob Crow, um, K-R-O-G-H. And <laughs> great guy. He's a good, he's a very good friend. Like, love the guy to death. Uh, him and Billy are both just amazing people as well. Uh, they're, they're two of the only people that also have to deal with, with Nils-like problems as far as, like, trying to get as much oxygen at the altitude that they live at on a regular basis. Um, and I mean because they're, they're tall. They're so tall. <laughs> and... Yeah, he's just laughing his ass off. And he laughed for like five minutes at how retarded I looked up there swinging my PCC back and forth at these three targets that should have been a, a 1.2 second. And instead, I did it in like three and a half seconds with, you know, single shot, blah, blah, blah. So, so yes, as you get more developed, your friends will want to see you fail in epic fashion um, for comedy purposes, never for, you know, self-inflicted harm or anything like that. But um uh, huh? now, other than that then it's just like if you want to make content then make content do whatever the hell you want like if, if if it makes you happy i mean in reality if you if you post a video and only 100 people like it great if a thousand people like it great if a million people like it great guess what you still probably have to go to work on monday so it doesn't really fucking matter so you might as well just have fun with it yep. if you if you like doing it if you like making it, if you think the video is funny and you want uh, you want to share it then then do it do whatever the hell you want 
Um, if you get shadow banned, you get shadow banned. I mean, hell, I'm at this point now where my Instagram stuff, I've got 8,400 followers, all like legit followers. I haven't paid for followers. And I mean, the last couple of videos I posted about like five, 600 views, like that's ridiculous. I know there's more people out there, but you know, it's what it is. I'm going to keep doing what I do anyway. Same. Mine will never grow. I got in too late, but I, I like what I post. They're entertaining. Most of it's painful. So if you want to feel better about yourself, just watch my videos. <laughs> The compilation video, I don't know if you ever saw it, of me from last year or the year before, it was all of my following in one year. Holy crap, it's mm. a funny one. <laughs> and it's like, I fall down, I get back up again. It's that stupid song. It's just like, mm. oh my god. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it's an interesting time yeah. for, for us all in the firearms industry, but I mean. It's what it is. Worst, worst thing you can do is just be quiet. Exactly. Exactly. So wear loud pants and be loud and, and demand attention. So John, um, <laughs> any final thoughts that you want to leave people with? I know you mentioned your fancy pant pants shooting, but what's your Instagram name for your regular account? Uh, regular account on Instagram is McLean John. Um, I think my Twitter's is my Twitter's the same too. It's like McLean underscore John or something like that. I I try and remember to do Twitter, but like God damn, there's just so many platforms out there now. Um, no, I mean, I think I think I've kind of hit the the big sponsors and all. That. I mean, obviously, if I missed anyone, sorry, but um, yeah, no. I, I, you know what? I'll I'll say this too. I, I want to add one more thing, and this is just because this is another thing that I think would would help the two A community um, and the the bullshit of the ATF that that is out there. I just recently got my first suppressor for my my two two three, which is a Surefire Monster. Now to tell you a surefire monster that should tell you how long i've had the suppressor um sitting at my my ffl dealer because that's that that can was discontinued like eight years ago um <laughs> yeah holy crap but it's it's a suppressor that has like teeth on the front of it it's meant for crowd control purposes um and i just finally went to a silencer shop a couple years ago did the uh, I did my trust through them, but now they have like their single shot trust, the the unlimited single shot trust that you can do. Um, man, if you've never, uh, I know there's some people that are probably going to think like, "What the hell do you need a suppressor for?" And it's not necessarily that you need it, but you need it. You do, and that and it's now. and it's not because like of anything tactical. It's not because it's just cool points. Like the the shooting experience with a, a suppressor on the end of your AR, even though you still have to wear a hearing protection, it's so much better to just have to pair, uh, have one pair of hearing protection. And even if like, you know, you're the seal breaks or something like that on your hearing protection, you don't immediately have tinnitus after your very next shot. Um, that was very eye opening for me was the idea of like how much more enjoyable shooting an AR could be. And the flip that, and the biggest reason for that is also the fact that like, if you're, if you're getting in firearms or if you're in firearms and you want to get others into it, it's, it's a great way to have juniors, ladies, even, even guys start off on a platform um, where they don't have to worry so much about hearing loss. They don't have to worry about the sound of the recoil or the, the, you know, the explosion happening to, to scare them or intimidate them or anything like that. Like, and I think it makes it safer if you can if you can lower the volume of the the rifle, then you can have a better communication because now you don't have to wear two sets of hearing pro and all that kind of stuff. You actually just talk back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, it, it was just, it was a great experience going through Silencer Shop. I'm not sponsored by Silencer Shop. They're not paying me anything to say this. I'm just telling you, yeah. um, using their kiosks, you know, to, to go, you literally can create your account through there. You can do your fingerprints right there at the kiosk that puts them in their data, database. And then when you have a trust set up through them, every time you buy a suppressor, you just let them know. They yeah. do the paperwork for you. You submit it with them. And then it's just a waiting game. Yeah. And for those who are like, well, God, it's going to take up to a year to get a suppressor. Okay, fine. So I'm 37 now. It means if I want to buy a suppressor, I'll be 38 when I get the suppressor. You know how old I'm going to be if I don't want to buy a suppressor? I'm still going to end up being 38. So using that as an excuse, well, it's, it's just going to take so long. It's it's a stupid excuse. Um, and I think, like I said, like the more and more we we normalize people buying suppressors and having suppressors, uh, you know, the more it's just going to end up becoming one of those things that like, well, Normal. everyone has them. So why is it still considered a, a, a special licensed item, blah, blah, blah. So that's the only thing I'll add to that is that, yeah, I, I've got a suppressor now. It's fucking awesome. Uh, it's scary as fuck when you once you put it on. Like it just looks mean. Um, I love it, and uh, it fits you. That one specifically fits you. Um, I did do uh, the whole thing. Really, John? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk about that though. Like I like that you said that because in September I've shot suppressed before and not very often, not very much, and I went from one to seven in the matter of like two and a half months. But like, I realized like oh, the hunting rifle and then I'll have it on my 22s. Like the 22 cans, that is the best purchase. Like $500 dead air mask, like the little 22 can, 500 bucks. And you can put it on pistols, put it on your 1022s. I mean, this is a phenomenal little can and it lasts for so long. Um, but I'm going to have my gals day event coming up and we're going to have several suppressed guns out there we're gonna have uh, a full auto suppress i mean it makes it fun comfortable enjoyable to shoot like less recoil but i think you're completely right is like it's just a whole different experience I, and i i get it now took me a minute to get it <laughs> yeah absolutely well and you know to to, con to consider this in europe suppressors are not a class three bullshit I, it, it's just you go to a store and you buy it and you walk out this, like how is it the, the Europeans that are so anti-gun allow a suppressor to just be sold like a regular gun versus us yeah. who, you know, if we were as violent as the Democrats say we were, then everyone would already be dead. Um, you know, we have, I, I mean, the answer is obvious. I know exactly what it is, is if, as if I was a government entity and people kept paying me $200 to buy something stupid, then hell yeah. Why wouldn't I want to keep collecting that money? It's got nothing to do with safety. It's got nothing to do with It's literally got to do with the fact that, you know, if we all start buying cans and they're going to get an extra $200 each time. Um, it's ridiculous. But like I said, like, it's just, it just needs to become a thing where like, it's not, it's, it's not as big, scary. I it's, it's about as scary as an AR 15 is. Yeah. Which in the media is, Oh my gosh. But it's it's nothing we all know that so the more we more the more we normalize it make it very clear like the movies made the suppressor for the assassin for sure 100%. but it was never it was never meant to be that purpose so but if you have a gun that's in your vehicle um especially <laughs> ar platform or if you have one in your home and you plan to use that in a self-defense scenario i would put a suppressor on it because you're gonna blow your eardrums out and it's not gonna be pleasant See, that's just you looking at the negative. The fact of the matter is we all want to learn a second language. So <laughs> what better way to, to be forced to learn sign language than to make yourself go deaf? 
That's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> all right. We've rambled on too long. John, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge um, and all the things. And I appreciate all the content that you put out. I do. And I love shoot with you. So thanks for everything. Appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for resetting your internet connection. So the rest of this podcast didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know, I edited a lot of this anyways. <laughs> <laughs> make it enjoyable anyways guys uh stay tuned for the next episode of the red club podcast go follow fps underscore shooting right outdoors outdoors okay and then mclean john which is the one i mainly follow but go follow those two accounts check them out and uh feel free to bug john with questions that'll make me happy yeah absolutely i'll answer them as long as they're not stupid just kidding <laughs> awesome guys stay tuned and uh thanks for following along thanks for listening to the red club podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Redicle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.